Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. Welcome into Ledlow and Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And it's Thanksgiving week, so we're going to be talking about a couple of our heroes. We're going to be talking to one of our heroes. But before we get to any of that, a Woj bomb over the weekend, Candace. And that means... I will handle it with dignity and class. You certainly messed up a lot more than I did. I think all of us just want to leave the league better than we came into it. And that's what we said. That's what we said. <laughs> we said. <laughs> that's, that's what, what we said. said. <laughs> really good. We got it. We got that down. Nailed it. Four major changes being discussed between the NBA, the Players Association, and the broadcast partners. Here's a couple of the changes. A minimum 78-game season, a 30-team tournament around Thanksgiving, postseason play-in for the 7-10 to seeds, and reseeding of the four conference finalists. The game, as we know, has been evolving for years, but fans now are evolving as well. They consume content differently, and the ratings are down. So, Candace, I know that changes are necessary, but which one of these stand out to you as perhaps being a solution? Well, first and foremost, I want to say kudos to Adam Silver, because I do believe that because of him, the NBA is continuing to evolve and to notice maybe things that aren't big problems now, but that could grow into, you know, bigger problems later. And that's viewership. What's the incentive for fans to watch the NBA game before February? If there's an 82 game season and, you know, I played overseas for years and there was always a midseason cup tournament that all the owners and all the fans got excited about. And it was a single elimination tournament where you played and there was a winner and that was the ability to win three championships within one year. And so I think anytime you're playing or competing for something, especially single elimination style, March Madness style, however you want to put it, I think it really does create a lot of buzz with the fans. Now, the big question, Kristen, how do you get the players to want to be a part of this? You mentioned that the fans need an incentive to watch, but the players are going to need an incentive to show up and play really hard anytime before the postseason. So you have to decide what's an incentive that's worth it to them. If it's monetary... How much is enough? I mean, for guys that are playing for 10s and 20s and 30s of millions of dollars every single season, is $100,000 enough? Is $200,000 enough? Is perhaps you take it a step further and there are postseason implications for the team. I do think in some way you have to tie this tournament to postseason incentives in some way. Uh, I don't know whether it's a buy in the first round. Is a first round buy, you think it's too much? I think that's a little much, especially if it's single game elimination. What if James Harden wakes up with the flu one day? I mean, you still have the regular season to compete. and Which can happen. We we did see him play in Miami. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. James, I'm a huge fan of yours. Please come on the podcast. (laughs) We welcome you with open arms. (laughs) 
But you do have to look at those things. Uh, But I do think, especially around Thanksgiving, fans, and especially before All-Star break, you have to find a way to get fans to watch basketball on television and to be excited about it. The reality is broadcast partners are paying billions of dollars for the rights to broadcast these basketball games. And that's where a lot of these big contracts are coming from as well. So if these guys want to continue making this kind of money, they've got to be willing to evolve with the broadcasts. But when you think about the entirety of a season, whether it's 78 games or 82 games, at what point is 200 or 300 extra thousand dollars or maybe even home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs worth more to me than having three or four days off away from the game entirely? At what point would the rest be considered more valuable than any incentive that we could come up with? Well, I think that's the major thing of the balance of making sure that there's a monetary benefit, but also that there's benefits in making things easier in your hunt for a championship. And so I think that's the balance that the, you know, Adam Silver has in finding what is going to be the greatest incentive for players to want to compete and play, play defense like they play in the playoffs, (laughs) but in November. Well, the WNBA has already incorporated a couple of these changes. They've been seeding teams in the playoffs without regard to conference. So let's talk about a couple of those as well. First, though, the reseeding of four conference finalists. Do you like the idea of perhaps doing away with what could be a conference in either direction? I'm a firm believer in the two best teams competing against each other in the finals. And I know just from the WNBA when it came time for us to play Minnesota, they're on the West Coast, and we were continuing to meet them in the semifinals or the finals of the Western Conference. When they made it a super conference, which I don't think the NBA will ever go to because the, all the Eastern Conference owners will have to vote to make it a super conference. <laughs> because the reality is, for those who don't exactly understand what reseeding without regards to conference, it could be that the two Los Angeles teams end up in the NBA championship together. When you get down to those last four teams without regards to conference, then you're looking at no matter where the teams are, they're the ones playing for a championship. Well, one of these changes jumps out to me that I think is almost like a no-brainer. For seven to ten seeds, you have a play-in. Now, in years past, the first round was a best-of-five game series. I don't know if I believe in a one-game play-in situation between a 7 and 10 seed. I do. I would like to still see it be a series. But I do like having seeds 7 to 10 play-in because there's usually one or two games that separate right. 7 to 10 and whether you make the playoffs or whether you don't. We see so often the last day of the regular season, just a couple of points even, can determine which team is going home and which team continues to compete for at least the next 10 to 12 days. So I'd like to see that as well. But like you said, maybe not one game. What do you think about a best of three series? Or even if it's a best of seven, then... If one team goes up 3-0, why not just call it then and there? We see so many sweeps, and we very rarely see anyone come back from down 3-1. Now, just playing devil's advocate, looking at a top seed, the whole debate of rust over rest, now is your top seed sitting there waiting for a team? Because I know it is a huge advantage when you go into a series or 
let's say, you know, you have a week off and your coach tries to simulate what it's like to play in game. But when you meet a team that's in rhythm and maybe just overall not a good matchup for you. Oh, that's you could see. I would have thought the other direction that you would have preferred a week of rest and to prepare for another team. But you're you're arguing that perhaps the team that's already playing. But aren't you going out there and risking injury? You're risking a lot more by playing games than not. Definitely. I just am looking at the advantage of the the top seed in that yes, you get to rest and I I get it, but rhythm is a lot in the playoffs and So I do believe that there would be some kickback from some top teams that the winner, you know, you you see often in March Madness and obviously the first seed and the 16th seed super overmatch the 16th seed. But you do see the first two or three minutes of the game, the 16th seed has a rhythm. They've shot on those baskets before, things like that. So the you know one seed could argue that they have rhythm and they've been waiting to to play so do you think then that these changes are going to take place do you think that they all should do you think that one or two perhaps should or do you want to see it perhaps tested in the G League the way that we've seen several other changes be tested the last couple all-stars that I've been able to attend I have heard a lot of buzz about this 30 team tournament at Thanksgiving so if I were to guess of any of these that would you know, go into effect in the 2021 season, I would guess that it would be the 30 team tournament. And I would think fans would be super excited to, to watch that. And I mean, you'd be eating Turkey and watching. Well, I was going to say even this week. Yes. Imagine if there were meaningful NBA basketball on while you're celebrating Thanksgiving, that could be a game changer. Single elimination. Well, we could speculate all day long, all podcast long as to what changes could or couldn't take place. But Candace, we've got somebody on the phone that I don't think we want to keep waiting for too long. It is with tremendous pride that we present this year's Sager Strong Award to the undefeated Robin Roberts. This week is a week where a lot of people pause and acknowledge and say what they're thankful for. And in preparing for this episode, uh, about a month ago, they asked Kristen and myself who our heroes are. And immediately, uh, Robin Roberts came to mind. I mean, she's strong, determined, passionate, kind. She represents all the things that I want to be and all the things I want to teach my daughter to be. Um, She's paved the way for people like Kristen and myself in this field. And now she says good morning to millions of people every morning. So with great pleasure, I'd like to welcome in one of my heroes, Robin Roberts. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Candace and Kristen, thank you very, very much. Happy to do it. Well, in switching gears, I, uh, I, had, to, I had to text Michael Strahan because I wanted to get like kind of the lowdown of, you know, I don't want to do generic questions. I want to get the lowdown on, you know, who you really are. So he sent me some tidbits a little bit that oh boy. you don't put on shoes. You wear slippers under the desk for the first hour of the show. Is this true? Wait until I see Michael Strahan. I'm going to bring him down. Yes, I do. Uh, But they're not just any slippers. They're Oprah's favorite things from last season. Okay. uh, Okay. And let let me just preface something. When I worked at ESPN for umpteen years, 
I wore the same pair of earrings for 15 years. No one said anything. I wore the same pair of earrings three days in a row on Good Morning America, and I got mail from women going, what are you doing? Uh, so I have to wear my stilettos. I do. I do when I'm on camera. You don't see my feet for the first hour. That's so I'm going to have my slippers on. Right, I'm going to be comfortable. I've been making. That is the right? argument. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm yes. behind it. And I so got you. By the time I make it upstairs, I, I put on the nice shoes. But, boy, wait until I see Michael Strahan <laughs> giving away my secrets like that. You did, though, mention your time at ESPN, and you've paved the way for so many women in sports broadcasting. What, though, gave you the inspiration, the courage even, to be on television talking about sports on network TV when there were so few women, even people who looked like you in that space? Oh, bless your heart. It, you know, when I was coming along, I did not see anybody who looked like myself who was doing what I wanted to do. First of all, I wanted to be a pro athlete. Okay, let me just get it out there. That's, that was, my, that was my, my dream when I was a youngster growing up in Mississippi. I was a state bowling champion when I was 12 years old, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that kind of peaked uh, early in my, in my career <laughs> with bowling. Uh, but I took up tennis, and actually my scholarship at Southeastern Louisiana University was for tennis, though I played basketball instead for those four years. And so I wanted to be a pro athlete. It wasn't, it wasn't in the cards. didn't have the WNBA waiting for me. didn't have any professional outlets. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to Europe um, out of college. But then I graduated with honors in communications and received a part-time offer for $5.50 an hour to be the weekend sports anchor in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I didn't hesitate to take that position. It was the only one that was offered to me. I was being offered um, positions in news, but I really wanted to do sports. And to answer your question, I think people could just sense um, my passion, um, that I, I truly wanted to be a sports journalist. I wanted to talk to athletes. I wanted to, to share with people uh, what it was that I wanted to be as a, as a pro athlete. So I think it was my authenticity uh, when I would interview for a position that they realized that, boy, this, this, she, this woman, she really wants to do this. And I was just so grateful that I had some great mentors and people around me who believed in me and taught me to believe in myself. And I'm so grateful that I just followed my dream. Well, a lot of what you just said, you know, you established in college. And I know I spoke to one teammate in Michael Strahan, <laughs> but I'm going to have to take it back to another teammate. And your college teammate, Michelle, she oh actually, yes, we did. We took it back there. Uh, we, we, we do our research. We do our research Robin. a little you bit. Go, you, go, you guys are good. Okay, and bring she it, bring actually it, compared you to an NBA great. She was a, a aggressive player. I always look at her as being the female version of Dennis Rodman without the tattoos. <laughs> 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 oh, how do you know I don't have any tattoos? Well, that's, um, that's but, very that's true. Another story. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I was a rebounder. I, I you know, I, like Dennis Rodman, who you didn't, uh, I, I surprised people with my ability, put it that way. Um, I was 5'10 post player in high school. Uh, you know, no one was a 5'10 post player in college, but I knew how to play with my back to the goal. And at 5'10", and playing against taller players, I had to be very creative, and I was, I was well coached, and I knew how to box out, and I would frustrate the taller players because I would get them to proper position in that. But yeah, I really enjoyed my college 
playing days. It, 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 it's, it laid such a strong foundation for everything that I'm doing now in my life. And I, um, I, I would say that is an accurate description. Uh, Dennis Rodman <laughs> without the <laughs> tattoos that you can see. There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, in regards to that foundation, we were doing some research and saw that among senior business women at the executive level, 94% played sports and over half played at the university level. But then we went on to see that girls are dropping out of youth sports yeah. at twice the rate that boys are. What are some of the characteristics, some of the qualities that you feel were instilled in you from playing growing up? Oh, gosh, you both know this. I know, Kristen, you played volleyball, and we know Candace. I mean, she was just a beast on the court. Um, what I learned was about being a teammate, um, about um, how to, um, gosh, uh, every everything, um, leadership, um, about if you lose a game, it doesn't mean that you can't go back and win the championship. Um, I learned how to lose as well as I learned how to win. And I think that's what's so important. I, I, know, I know what it takes. Um, I know that you need teammates. Uh, you know, you talked about Michael Strahan, uh, George Stephanopoulos, who I work with, um, all these great broadcasters that I've worked with in my, in my career. They're my teammates. And that's something I learned through playing sports. And um, if you if you've talked to men and the same thing, the head of corporations, you know the vast majority of them were the former team captain of the lacrosse team or football team or or something like that. And I don't know why, and it, it really it disturbs me that that women uh, and girls are are not being encouraged to play sports and are dropping out at this rate. And also, I want to see more women being coaches. I think that's something that we've seen post-Title IX, you know, pre-Title IX, every, every women's team was coached by a woman. Now, um, it's, it's, it's sliding in the other direction. And I think that we need to see those role models, um, women coaching. And I think that would encourage more women and girls to participate in sports. I hope so. You were a broadcaster in Tennessee during the 1980s and during... Coach Summit's dominance yeah. at the University of Tennessee. I remember being in her office and watching you on television. And whenever <laughs> she would discuss about people that you'd ha you know, you wanted to look up, up to, your name inevitably came up. Wow. You know, that her, means everything to me. Her, her mantra was left foot, right foot, breathe and mm -hmm. repeat. And I have it tattooed as a visible tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> yes, as you can see on my arm. <laughs> Which I know Coach Summit wasn't into tattoos, but I'm sure she would no. approve that one. Um, but what are, what are some of the lessons that, that you learned from, from Coach Summit? Oh, gosh. Um, woo, you're going you're gonna to make me uh, get quite emotional here. Um, I still have on my voicemail um, a birthday wish from her. She would call me on my birthday, and I just celebrated um, my birthday on Saturday, and I thought about her. <clears throat> she talked about uh, tenacity. I was a Cub sports reporter in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Lady Vols win their first national championship. I take the drive from, Knox from Nashville to Knoxville, um, and we became instant friends at that moment. And what she... Uh, taught me um, is th uh, being determined, being disciplined, uh, listening. But she taught me what true leadership is. Uh, and you know this, Candace. There was one leader on that team, um, and that was that was Coach Summit. 
and uh, I, I, I'm working on um, bringing her story to the big screen. Um, we are in development to do a movie. Um, I have uh, Tyler's Blessing, and I'm very excited about that. And it's not just talking about the great players such as yourself and the others. It's, the list is on and on. But it's what she did um, off the court. It's what she did, what she instilled in you, Candace, and other Lady Vols. And that's what we want to explore in her, in her life story. And thinking about how she grew up with those brothers and her sister and um, just how her determination and also how she was able to um, adapt. I mean, that was a real credit to her, that she was able to, as the times were changing and the athletes were changing, um, her, the core of herself stayed the same. But she was always um, very um, outspoken um, and just somebody who I, I think about almost on a daily basis, and I'm so grateful um, that she was somebody that was so important in my life. Well, one of the major things that I noticed when I got to the University of Tennessee is Coach's ability to know every statistician, the janitor at TBA, (laughs) the bus driver that drove us in Virginia. I mean, she knew everybody by name, knew their kids, everything. And it's and she treated them all the same. And she treated them with respect. Yes, respect. And that's the same thing that I have witnessed with you and those around you, whether we get on Instagram and see you dancing with your makeup artist (laughs) and the way that you engage with people and fans and even how you got on this call and you said hello to everybody and asked how they were doing. I mean, where did you, was that from your upbringing with your parents? Where did you learn Oh, yes, 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 yes. My mother and father, when people ask me uh, what was the key to the success that people feel that I have achieved, I say being the daughter of Colonel and Lucy Marion Roberts. Um, my, my mother and father were, um, I, I blow a kiss to them every morning when I step into the studio. I blow a kiss to heaven. They're, they're both deceased. And my mother and my father being, he was a Tuskegee Airman, the first black flying Air Corps in the military, um, having that military upbringing. My mother and father were both the first in their families to go to college. They met at Howard University and, um, you know, travel the world with their four children. And when we, would, when we would travel abroad and live abroad, we wouldn't stay on a military base, a U.S. base. We would stay, we would get an apartment in the city and learn the customs and learn uh, about different people. And we were able to learn that we have more in common than not, so why don't we focus on our similarities as opposed to our differences? And my mother, I remember asking my mom, uh, I'm the youngest of four, and I remember asking her one time, why do you think that your, your children have done well in life? And I thought she'd give me some highbrow because she was all about education, and she would say, oh, because I taught you children and you were supposed to go to college and blah, blah, blah. And she said, honey, because your father and I taught you children manners, good manners. And I was like, wow, really? oh, okay. And I think that's really something that's, that's helped me. I, I like Pat Summit. I care about people uh, authentically. Um, it's, it's not, um, you know, I look people in the eye. When I shake their hand I, or give them a hug, it's, it's firm. It's, it's, it's something that um, I was taught, and I wish that more people would do that. And I'm just so grateful for my mother and father for spending time with their children. Um, they weren't there to prevent us from falling, but they were there to pick us up when we did fall. They wanted us to take chances. They wanted us to take risks. Um, and we knew that we had a, a safety net with our mother and father. 
And now one of the mantras that you continue to share with people is to make your mess your message. Where did that saying come from? That came from Mama. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> she was very big about uh, everybody's got something. You know, everybody's got an issue. Everybody, whether it's uh, you know, unemployment, divorce, um, illness, I mean, everybody's got something. You don't compare your despair, but everybody's got something. And when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2007, and I didn't know how much I should share with people, my mother was the one that encouraged me. She said, Robin, you have a good job. Uh, you have health benefits. Uh, you're going to have the resources that are going to help you with your illness. There are many people who don't have those resources. Be their voice. Um, show people what it is to live with cancer. Um, share with them. And she was the one that said, make your mess, your message. And when you do that, the, the tragedy is not cancer. The tragedy is not divorce. The tragedy is not unemployment. It's if we don't take the time to understand why that was placed in our path, what we can learn from that, and more importantly, what can we share with others who may be walking that same path. We also wanted to ask you about one of our co-workers, Ernie Johnson, who has fought oh, EJ. very hard and very <laughs> publicly. But first, he actually recorded a message for us to play to you. Oh, wow. Hey, Robin, this is Ernie Johnson, um, your old friend from uh, our local news days in Atlanta when you were at Channel 5 and I was at Channel 2, and everybody knew you weren't going to stick around long. Uh, your career has been uh, just uh, a wonder to behold, and you've always done it with such class and dignity and courage. Um, so happy to see at the NBA Awards last year that um, you were the Sager Strong Award recipient could not have been a more deserving person than yourself. So I hope you're well, and it's great to see that you finally, even though you are a broadcasting icon, you have finally reached the pinnacle. You are on, let alone Parker. <laughs> I haven't been on there. See you, Robin. He hasn't been on there. It's fair. We did ask you before we asked Ernie. This is but true. This is true. If you were to describe your friendship with Ernie, another broadcasting uh, icon, how would you do it? Oh, my goodness. Uh, we, are, we are cut from the same cloth. Uh, we did know each other back in the days in the 80s in Atlanta. Uh, we were working at um, competitive um, local TV stations. But there was, um, oh, there was this. Uh, we were just in sync. I, 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 yeah, we were at competing stations, but we weren't in competition with one another. And then the, the health struggles that he has gone through and been so public with it. And the way, I mean, the way he can keep Shaq and, and, and <laughs> Sir Charles in check like that, I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, he is an icon. <laughs> but to have seen how he has, he has grown, and he's such a good family man. And he, writ, he wrote a, a, a beautiful book about his father, and I had him on the show mm. on GMA to talk about that. And the more I read about his story, the more I realized that, uh, like my mama said, we all have more in common than not. And that's how I feel about EJ. I had the honor of being in L.A. and presenting you with the Sager Strong Award. And obviously, by no surprise, you take the moment to inspire others and make it about everybody except yourself. Mm -hmm. um, have you worn the jacket? That's yeah. the question, yes, question that I have. One. That's yeah. question number one. Have you worn the jacket? And number two, I mean, just being in the spotlight and going through the things that you have gone through, what has really given you strength uh, to come out and be authentic, as you said before? 
Oh, bless your heart. Well, you and Issa Rae, I mean, I was just so honored that you all uh, presented me with the award. And it was such a, a special night. And it was a special jacket. Um, yes, I have worn it from time to time. I'm going to shadow box it uh, and put it down in my basement. I have, like, um, all my awards and things like that. And so it's got a, it's got a special, special place. Uh, that night, um, and, and thinking about Craig, and he's another one that I knew back in the 80s in Atlanta, again, like, like Ernie, and the way he handled his illness, and we both had bone marrow transplants, and um, again, we kind of, um, we, we, we walked that same path, and that night was so uplifting, and again, I remember um, I gave a commencement address a long, long time ago, and my mother was there, and I thought I gave a pretty good address. And so we were in the car going back home after it, and she was like, Robin Renee. And I was like, what? What's, what's up? I, I killed it. And she goes, you did, not, you did not acknowledge all the people that have helped you? And she just, you know, as only as a mother could do, and I was just like, wow, you're so right, Mama. And that always stayed with me. So I always make sure, um, because no one gets to where they are by themselves. And I have had so many people who have believed in me, and I'm so grateful uh, for the lessons um, that they have taught me, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful my mother, you know, I was an adult at that time, but she, boy, if she could have, she would have, you know, took him, taken me by the ear <laughs> and dragged me off that stage, um, but I remembered that, and so I do um, make a point, and it's not, um, when I say make a point, I want to, I, I want to acknowledge, because when I received that award, or, or the Arthur Ashe Award, I know there's so many people who are as worthy, if not more worthy, than I to receive it. And so I want to be a symbol for them. I want to be a symbol of this too shall pass for people who are going through uh, what I've gone through. Um, but I just want to be able to share with people and say, I'm, I'm here for you. This isn't just for me. And you do that every single morning, waking up all of America. I read, though, you get up at 3.15. Is that true and if so you yeah. probably shouldn't be on the phone with us right now <laughs> i was up this morning at three fifteen. Oh, um from three thirty until 4 i meditate and do my prayers uh then i hit the shower i'm at the studio by five o'clock um i'm there at the office until phew, early afternoon i'll use today as an example i got home about uh one two o'clock uh did another meditation did my pilates came home, whipped up a little light dinner. Um, I was a little late on the call with you all because I was on a conference call on the West Coast because I have a, a pilot for ABC uh, primetime that I'm working on about these uh, five African-American sisters who are all police officers, and so we're working on a pilot for that. Um, I'm happy to talk with both of you. I will, I'll go to bed by, by 9 o'clock and start it all over again. And it's very hard because as a sports person, like you guys are, I'm nocturnal. I yeah. love to stay up and watch games. I yeah. love to, you know, it's very hard, especially during March Madness with all the West Coast games. So um, I can be a little bleary-eyed some mornings. And my dear friends, <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, yeah, yes. please stay it up. But, yeah, I, you know, because I just, uh, Charlie Gibson, who I worked with for a time, he said, as a morning anchor, you're going to be invited to everything but too tired to go to anything. <laughs> He's just about right, but no complaints whatsoever. That's awesome. Uh, how long have you been meditating? Is this something that you've done 
for a long last time, or is this the last, last couple few years? years? Yeah, last few years. I, I always had what my grandma Sally used to call quiet time. I always have been very, you know, to myself and with my thoughts and that. But I actually started meditating uh, about three years ago, and it really has made a world of difference. It just kind of, especially first thing in the morning, well, really it's the middle of the night, but the first thing in the morning <laughs> to kind of set my intentions. And I know when people say meditate, they're like, well, how can you not uh, have thoughts? It's not that you don't have thoughts. You recognize that you have them. You push them aside. You focus on your mantra. And it's something that it, um, it, it's, 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 it's a twofer because it energizes me and relaxes me at the same time. It's, a, it's the oddest thing, but I, I highly recommend it. If then you were to give any other advice, broadcasting advice to Candace and to me, what would it be? Well, first of all, ladies, you all did your homework. I mean, starting strong with Michael Strahan, reaching out to my teammate Bugs, Ernie Johnson. I'm telling you, you've done your homework. I am so incredibly impressed. Well, thank um, you. I thought it was going to be, you know, another interview, and I have, and I, I try not to do too many uh, right now, but, um, of course, I was going to say yes to both of you. And I am just... Um, elated and not surprised at all, knowing what I do know about both of you, uh, that you came prepared. And that's what you do. You, um, you ask what you have, like a, a template, like you have an outline of what you want to ask. But then you listen. It's kind of like how you followed up about the meditation. Um, when you hear somebody say something, even though it's not in your notes, you follow up on it. You just show interest. Um, be authentic. I mean, I'm about to do a, a master class, a, a series, and it's not just for uh, teaching people how to interview and to be a broadcaster. It's how to be a communicator. And you are, you are athletes at heart. You know as well as I know, whether it's being, you know, playing volleyball or basketball, you had a game plan, you had a coach, um, and you approach it the same way. You have your formula for success. And why do we always look at the mountains ahead of us and not the mountains we've already climbed that are behind us? Mm. We're always looking at that new summit. And we're like, can we just for a moment just pause and turn around and go, dang, look what I have done. <sighs> and I am somebody that I, I'm, I'm always, always, always grateful, but never content. I know there's more out there. There's more that I want to do. There's more that I want to share. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But you girls, you got it. You got it going on. You don't need any advice from me. Well, and just I'm, hire me. You know, because I, I, I feel like I'm no. going to be working for you guys one day. No, no, no. no. So just kind of remember me uh, <laughs> no. when I'm in my twilight years. Exactly. Can we be invited to the master <laughs> class? Can we come to the that's, master class? That's what we're going to ask <laughs> yeah. for. No, but in those that minute that you just spoke, I mean, there were so many life lessons that you just touched upon. That really is the key to success. And obviously in the work environment, but also just positive relationships and surrounding yeah. yourself with people that care and that will help you get to where you're at. And so I'm just so thankful that you shared that with us because I mean, that's very inspirational for us that are trying to, to be even half of, accomplish yeah. even half of what right. you, you well, have you're accomplished. Doing it. And you know, optimism is a muscle that gets stronger with use. Get in the habit of being optimistic, get in the habit of surrounding yourself with good people who are, are like-minded. Um, and I think that will take you. I'm, I'm very grateful that um, I was taught at an early age um, to, 
as I said, to be optimistic, not a Pollyanna, not, you know, I'm, I'm a realist. I know there are a lot of things that are going on in the world. But I went into, uh, on my way back from Pilates, I just popped into the bodega to, to pick up a little something. And the gentleman behind the counter was, we were just, he was just talking about, why don't people smile? He goes, he said, he, just, he was talking about positivity. And we sat there for 10 minutes, and I was just talking to this gentleman. And I walked out of there, you know, on air, and just knowing that there are more people like him who are just saying, that's what we have to do, and that's what we have to spread. That's what we need right now, more than ever right now, is positivity. Well, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, um, <laughs> I know me and Kristen are super thankful for you and Aww. you taking the time with all of us to, to share your insight and because you truly, truly are a, a special woman and somebody that we get to watch every day and we really appreciate you joining our podcast. Well, Kristen and Candace, I thank you very much. You have been the highlight of my week <sighs> and I am very thankful to know that those like myself have, have blazed the path, and there are talented young women like you that are walking right beside us. I, can't, I could not be more proud nor happier for both of you, and I thank you. Thank you so much, oh, thank Robin. Thank you. And I've been, I've been waiting to say this. Go on with your bad self, Robin. <laughs> Go on with your bad self. That's been my dream. My dream is made. I said it to Robin Roberts. Yep. I watched her say that now so Now she can hang up on you. Now you can hang up on me. <laughs> oh, y'all, I, I swear, you, you, you made my night. Thank I am so, so proud of you guys. Thank this you. This is excellent. Thank and you, you all very are much. really, really on the ball. Thank, thank you, both. Robin. Bye-bye. Take care. One of my favorite segments, if not my favorite segment. It's because my name's in it's it, It's because right? yeah. of your name. <laughs> the lead lowdown. But this time, we're going to keep it in Atlanta. We're going to keep it here That's in right. studio. In studio. Yes. We have to because Ernie Johnson celebrated his 30th anniversary at Turner Sports, which I could not believe. But he came to work and had this to say to our crew. I did the commencement address at the University of Georgia back in 2017. And I told those graduates that day, get a job that you get to do and not that you've got to do. I said, there are too many folks driving to work with a frown on their face because they've got to go to work. I said, I've had 30 years of driving here because I get to. And that is such a blessing. I love this place. I love this company and the people who make it up. As you mentioned, when we were approached about this episode, the Thanksgiving week episode, we were asked who some of our heroes were. For me, mine, the one that immediately came to my mind, Ernie Johnson, not just because of the kind of broadcaster that he is, which in every sense of the word, he is worth watching, but because of the kind of man that he is, because of the kind of life that he lives. I remember the first time I was on set on Inside the NBA, and I looked to my right. I was sitting in Chuck's seat. I looked to my right. It's Kenny, down the line, EJ, and Shaq. And there are so many times in my living room that I have watched that show. And to be sitting on that stage and to have Ernie command, commanding and running the team yeah. as you are. I mean, the, he's a point guard <laughs> on set. In the truest sense. Exactly. A and Hall the, of Fame point a guard. Hall of Fame point guard. <laughs> well, Kristen... Everybody sees Ernie Johnson on television. Some see him the person. We see him the personality <laughs> at times. Yes. And for me, my favorite EJ moment 
One was I didn't believe his bow ties he tied himself. Oh, mm. I thought that they were like clip-ons. I don't know why, but maybe Shaq put me onto it. I don't know. So I asked him and he tied his bow tie in front of me and sang as he tied it. He's serious about those bow ties. No, he's though. very serious about his bow ties, making sure that they're straight on both sides, like, you know, not crooked, all that. And then my second EJ moment was on air when Shaq and Chuck got into it about one, Which two, time? back yeah. to three, and Ernie is just dying that laughing. That was one of the funniest clips of Ernie ever. Supposed to be one, two, three, not one, two, back to one. With your dumb ass. <laughs> Do it again, Chuck. Oh, man. Yo, dude. I'm you gonna be hey, some hey, 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 so, so Chuck. You repeat yourself. Who, who was a better who was, yesterday? Who was a better high school Kenny, player? Kenny, I ain't in the it's mood It's supposed to be one, two, three, three, not one, two, back. I'm I'm not, okay. He's dying laughing and cannot contain himself. <laughs> yeah. They cannot go to, he can't even speak. No. Well, because so often those guys go off the rails, but then he somehow brings it back, writes the ship. Gets back on track. He that time could not. It's nope. supposed to go one, two, three, <laughs> not one, one, two, back to one. one. <laughs> he could not get that thing back on track. Yep. When I think about Ernie as a personality, he's very competitive. Very. And I don't know how many people know this. They obviously saw the run through the tape moment and Ernie wanted it recalled because he said there was a false start. And obviously that one contained a bit of controversy. But if we rewind... It was perhaps around that same season I hosted, I believe we called it the All-Star Challenge, where those four guys had to compete in a series of sports challenges. They threw footballs, they hit golf balls, or they hit baseballs, they kicked soccer balls. It was easily one of the funniest days of my life. I mean, because, well... It's those guys attempting something athletic in the shape that they're in. But what stood out to me was Ernie, how serious he was about it. And he won the whole thing. Oh, no, he's super competitive. Like, beyond. Think about last year when you and I were in Charlotte and we did the, the, the racetrack and event. Yes, I remember lining up against Ernie. It was my first, it was our first race against each other. And, and he didn't want to hit the gas. He didn't want to hit the pedal without making sure everything was done, like all in check with his car. And yeah, so he's super competitive. I love it. So cheers, Ernie, to 30 years on Inside the NBA. I cannot believe you've been doing it that long. And well, as you mentioned, Robin Roberts has now hit the pinnacle as part of Ledlow and Parker. We're inviting you to do, do the same. Our uh, gift to you for 30 years of excellence. In this segment, NBA stands for No Basketball Allowed, which, well, makes a lot of sense because Thursday is Thanksgiving and there are no NBA games on. So there is actually no basketball allowed here this week. Well, I've been all over the world for Thanksgiving. So one year I was in Russia and we had a Thanksgiving dinner where everybody came from their different cultures and brought a dish from where they're from. Wow. So we had Russia, Belgium, France. Wait, what did you bring? Um, my mom did the candied sweet potatoes. <gasps> Ooh, I mean, yes. you know, you got to do the corn pudding, got to do the turkey. Nice. Yeah. We had borscht, the Russian Ooh, wow, soup. Wow, yes. Yeah, we had everything. So, but this year I'm staying in Los Angeles uh, with my family. Are you cooking? I do cook, Kristen. 
No, I know that. I do cook. But are you cooking? Yes, I am Thanksgiving. cooking. Thanksgiving, that's my a mom, bigger responsibility. My mom is doing like the turkey and all that stuff. Like the important things. Yeah, the <laughs> important things. I'm doing more of like the desserts and the sides. Yeah. Okay, well, see, it's funny because my mom and I had a conversation this week and I asked what I could bring or what I could be in charge of. And she put me in charge of the wine. That's like the best job ever. No, I know. but It's a very important if, job. If you're going to put me in charge of the wine, I'm going to be in charge of the wine. I've been doing research. I'm going to have a white wine available. Oh, so you're gonna... doing pairings. Oh, I will. Oh, this do is pairings. next level. Can we'll you do... come to the Parker House for yeah. Thanksgiving? <laughs> you're I in might, charge of wine. I might get kicked right out of my own house <laughs> <laughs> for all this foolishness. So I'll head on over to yours with the wine. But no, I'm doing white wines, red wines, even dessert wines that I feel perhaps the day could begin with and then also end with. <laughs> I knew you were the perfect teammate. Huh. This is just like if you put me in charge of the wine, I am gonna be in charge I of the wine. Love that. What's your favorite dish on Thanksgiving? Oh man. Come on. You've put me on the spot. I I, I love Thanksgiving food. My mom though makes this, she called it the company potatoes. I don't know. I guess it's just potatoes because company's coming over. I just now put that together. Interesting. <laughs> Either way, it's essentially potatoes with cheese on it and it's delicious. I mean, anything with cheese <laughs> yeah. and potatoes, yeah, I'm, that's true. I'm totally in. Thanksgiving or not. That works. I do want to know what you're thankful for. I'm thankful for a lot, uh, but like in years past, I'm just thankful for the relationships that I have, the people I love, um, health, happiness, and safety. That's my thing every year is I'm just so thankful to have those three things. Faith, family, football. I think if I had to sum it up, at least when it comes to alliteration, but no, to, to be with family during the holiday, to be able to celebrate something as significant as what it is that we're thankful for. I love that. It's one of my favorite holidays, but I'm just so thankful that you are excellent on the biggest stage at the thing that you have chosen to pursue, and yet you still take the time to turn around and 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 pull along and pull up those who are behind you. You know, these last couple of weeks have been a lot of fun, and with it being Thanksgiving, I want to say I'm very thankful for you and just your authenticity. I think that's the one thing that has definitely shine through to me and the first time we met and even now and I hope to you all it comes across because it truly is genuine and and authentic you know that I really look at you like a teammate but a friend as well and that's one of the many things I'm thankful for for you but we're not going to cry because they told us to stop crying on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) but thankful for you as a teammate and we have a new teammate And he's joining Ledlow and Parker next week. And I have a feeling we're going to be spending a lot of time on Tuesdays together. And we're going to be fighting over who gets to wear number three jersey. So come back to Ledlow and Parker next week.